Welcome to the Gary Wilkson podcast. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, booming epidemic of uh, drug addiction, how, how, in particular, how the pandemic has caused the opiate and other addictions to uh, increase. Uh, my father, David Wilkerson, if you're familiar with the history of our ministry here at World Challenge, you know that he started a program called Teen Challenge, which is a drug rehabilitation program. And uh, probably, you know, in the 50s and late 50s and 60s, uh, heroin epidemic hit. Uh, but it was a different kind of drug. Now the stuff that's on the streets coming uh, th- through our borders and coming from around the world are so intense and so deadly. Uh, this really is an epidemic uh, of, of proportions that we've not seen in the history of our nation before. And we need to deal with this where the church has to stand up, uh, make count, make a difference. And so I'm really thrilled and honored to have with us today uh, Pastor Ron Brown, uh, Dr. Ron Brown from Southern California Teen Challenge. He's the director of that program out there, and we'll talk more about that. But welcome, Ron. Thank Thanks for being with us here today. Well, thank you, Gary. It's great to be with you and and, and an honor to be on the podcast with you today. Yeah. You know, Ron, ever since the, um, the founding of Teen Challenge, there have been some miraculous testimonies. Uh, we start with the Cross and Switchblade with Nikki Cruz and Sonny yes. Argonzoni, who now has reached tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of addicts and gang members himself. Uh, but the testimonies go on and on and on. And you have some recent ones right from uh, Teen Challenge there in Southern California. I'd like to show uh, one of those now, and we'll catch one a little bit later as well. Excellent. I think people will be blessed. Yeah. <laughs> My brother, who is a Fresno County uh, Superior Court judge, bought an aluminum baseball bat to protect him and his family from me. starting to do heavy drugs at, a, at, at the age of 18. It led to a 16-year addiction to methamphetamines that, was, uh, that wrecked my life and those that were around me. And it destroyed my relationship with my family. They didn't want me around. Um, it destroyed a marriage. It destroyed um, the trust the, you know, my, my ambitions, my desires. It wasn't even the physical toll that, it, that, that addiction took. It was the, the relationships, my family. The, the times that going through in and out of jail, you know, finally the last time when my family had moved all the way up here, I had walked almost 15 to 20 miles when I got out just to get to my aunt's house. And the only thing that she told me is that you can use the phone. And I was done. I was exhausted. I was physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. That was a tough point in my life because it was, it was a decision to either continue to wallow in my sin or to try something different. And I remember my advisor was uh, doing chapel service that night. And he opened up the Word of God to Psalms 91. And that's when I knew I could feel God touching me and restoring me. And that's when I gave, I can really say, surrendered my life to Christ. And I got on my knees in that chapel and I wept and I cried and I said, God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna follow you. I don't know how to do this, but I want you to help me, to heal me and 
I, I, I could just feel his presence. He didn't, he didn't need to say anything else. Um, she's an amazing little girl and she deserves her dad. And she deserves for me to be there. And I get to do that. I get to be her dad full time. And, and here I am serving in his ministry. He's actually called me faithful to serve in his ministry. And that's pretty amazing because from what I came from and what I did to people and relationships, and here I am helping other men restore their relationship with, with God, with Almighty the Creator. And that just, that's, <laughs> he's called me faithful to do that. Wow, that's pretty amazing, man. My story continues, um, and it continues through each and every student that I get to see who follows after Jesus and his life is restored. That's what I get to do. You know, I mentioned my father, David Wilkerson, started Teen Challenge uh, early 60s in, in New York City in Brooklyn. And then um, from there, it spread to the Teen Challenge program. The, what was the second city? Do you, do you know the history of it? I, I don't really know. Yes, it started in New York City. Okay. Yeah. And the second city was Chicago. Chicago. And okay. the third one was uh, Los, Angeles. Third one, Los Angeles. So okay. we've been in operation since 1963. Okay. Mm -hmm. And give a, give a real brief description of, uh, uh, for any of our listeners that don't know about Teen Challenge, uh, tell us what Teen Challenge is, what it does. Well, Teen Challenge is a Christian discipleship program. Hmm. Uh, people come in, um, just stop using drugs, maybe even the day before. Hmm. Um, if they need a detox, there are detox centers that we work with that they can go to and do medical detox. But when they come into Teen Challenge, they come in for the purpose of having their life radically transformed by the power of the gospel. Hmm. And so we teach the okay. Word of God. They learn worship. They learn prayer. And it's, and it's in those encounters with the presence of God yeah. that we really see the miracles of lives being transformed and being there for years, a year-long structured program mm -hmm. uh, with curriculum classes, uh, individual and group classes, prayer time, chapel services where they can encounter God and in and, and worship and, and the presence of the Lord, one-on-one uh, -on -one individual advising and counseling, working with some of the issues that drive their addiction, and really helping them to rebuild their lives on a foundation of faith in Christ. Okay. And um, so in the early 60s, mid-60s, there were three, New York, Chicago, L.A., and now there are how many Teen well, Challenge programs? There are about 260 in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and across the world in about 130 nations, there are more than 1,400. My goodness. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Do you think my math would be anywhere near accurate? I was just trying to figure, you know, the average size of a Teen Challenge program. You know, uh, you have some that have, you know, 200 people in it. Others yes. have, you know, five or six. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, I was just trying to do the math there, 1,400 centers, if average 20 or 25, you know, you'd have maybe at any given time uh, over 20,000 uh, people that are getting their lives straightened, set free. I don't know. You think that's... Well, I think that's low. That's, I, that, that's, that's, low. that's, that's okay. a minimum. Yeah. Because yeah. not all the people that we work with are actually in the program. We also have non-residential uh, opportunities for people who can't come into the program. We work 
with them uh, in groups that we call Living Free. We also do evangelism, going out to the streets, going out to the jails and prisons mm. and any place where people are addicted. So we have many outreaches and, and the different Teen Challenge ministries make that part of their offerings yeah. to their communities too. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. speaking of the program outside the walls of the confines of a particular center. Uh, you know, I've heard of some and you may be affiliated with some of them that actually have a Teen Challenge program within a prison system Yes. Or in a, in a jail, uh, one of my missionary friends, I think it was in uh, Peru, mm-hmm. uh, opened up a, <clears throat> a, a small Bible study in the prison. And before long, they had uh, sectioned off a whole wing and said, this is our like our teen challenge wing. Yes. Uh, and like, you know, of course, everybody wanted to. I went in that wing, you know, because it was a, a better environment, obviously, because you know, so many Christians were leading the the program prisoners themselves. So, yes, yeah, so it's really yes. reaching into all segments of society, you know, we, we, Absolutely. and uh, and then Cal- Southern California started with the one center in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And now you have uh, how, how many uh, centers, programs uh, in different locations do you have there in, in Southern California or in California and other places that you're helping oversee? Yeah, in Southern California, we have nine different centers. Wow. Uh, we have uh, in 10 different locations and uh, we have over about 700 beds uh, for the year-long structured program, but we also have after-school learning center programs and outreaches in the community, um, the jails and the prisons. And before the pandemic, of course, we were going into the school system doing anti-gang, anti-drug prevention kind of work right. uh, that we hope to start back up soon. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we're we're out there letting people know that there's hope, there's an answer, there's a way out yeah. because people are so hopelessly addicted and discouraged and don't believe that there's any hope for a person who uh, is addicted yeah. to drugs. Right. You know, the scripture says, uh, if the ancient boundaries, re- talking about the, don't move the ancient boundaries. And another scripture says, you know, if, if, if the boundaries are taken and destroyed, you know, what can the righteous do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet there is, there's still hope. You know, that's, that's, yes. that's part of what we're saying as well. But, the, you know, this, uh, you know, it looks pretty bleak right now with, you know, there are always being addictions, drugs coming into our country, overdoses, uh, you know, in mass taking place. Uh, and then we had this pandemic come along, yes. and uh, you know people were getting lonely. People were, mm-hmm. uh, and and it got, you know, I hear statistics, but would you say because you know this firsthand, in in your ministry, are you seeing it this past year, eighteen months, has this has things gotten worse in in, yes, in America with drugs? Indeed, there's been a huge, huge increase, and the isolation has driven a lot of this. Mm. You know, drug addiction itself is an is an isolated activity. Even if a person is uh, maybe at a rave party or with friends, it's still a very lonely, lonely road for addiction, mm. uh, because the individual is trying to cover some uh, something that they don't want to deal with or some perceived weakness that they feel they can't cope or manage without some kind of substance uh, to to go along with it. And now with the, you know, the order to stay home and to isolate, don't get around people, be alone, it really has driven uh, the the addiction to a new level, Uh, and especially with alcohol too. Um, And one of the things that people have ordered online more than anything has been alcohol. They deliver it right to the front door. Mm. Um, And of course, with the legalization with marijuana and kind of the permissive attitude that people have towards drugs in general has made it more socially acceptable for people to use drugs. And it's really, uh, it has become the go-to uh, crutch to deal with issues when people want to just hide out and yeah. and not face them. It's a very pernicious kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. 
I hadn't really thought of that before, but you've got the, you know, your doctor can write your prescription. You get you an opiates that you can pick up at your local pharmacy. Then you can have your alcohol delivered to you by Amazon. Uh, then you can have your pornography brought right into Pipe your right, in. right into your house and your in your your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, Satan's crafty, and he's you know, and he, and the Bible says, knowing his time is short, you know, he just uh, he gets enraged. And I, I think some of these subtle changes in, 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 in whether it be pornography or alcohol or how the access we have to drugs, uh, you know, is just him trying to do what he does: kill, steal, and destroy. Well, yeah, that's his mission. And if he can keep us and keep people so distracted Hmm. uh, that they don't reach out for God, uh, and then they stay in that place of bondage, they stay in that place of of, of limitation, they don't realize that there's something more. Uh, When we see a person come to Teen Challenge, uh, the family members many times have used up all their resources, and we're like the last stop. And when they see their loved one begin to change, it's, it's like the light comes on and they say, we never knew that someone could be free, but it's the power of the gospel really that sets someone free, not just temporarily, but but eternally. Uh, and so it's really dealing with, it's an inside job, it's inside <laughs> out, rather than doing just behavior modification on the outside. Because you can stop using drugs by just getting up in the morning and say, I won't go to the dope man's house. But it's not about stop using drugs, it's about having another reason to live. Mm. Uh, and that's what happens uh, in the Ministry of Teen Challenge, is people find that there's another reason to live, not just to exist, but to live and to live life to the full. And when they grab a hold of that message, then everything changes. Wow. I love that. I love that. You know, probably a lot of people that are listening to us today, there are, you know, even if they're, you know, Christians and love God and church, they still find, you know what, I can't seem to kick this habit Mm -hmm. or or others have uh, family members, a spouse, a child, a mom, a dad who's dealing with, with, with addictions as well. And now here we are, you know, on this podcast talking about how it seems to be increasing in our culture today. Uh, you know, it's, it can be a frightening thing. So first, my first question in, in this particular aspect is, um, do you deal with a lot of people that, uh, you know, I think some people think that, uh, you know, you know it's, the, it's the lost heathen pagan world that, you know, the Satan worshipers, they're the drug addicts or the gang oh, members no. that, that are, you know, uh, shooting at people on the streets they're the drug addicts but you're that's not always the case is it like oh cri- no. christians can have struggles with addictions right oh absolutely right. It, yeah. it, there's no area of society that is not touched by addiction hmm. uh, whether a person is a regular church goer uh, or if they're a person who have never heard of christ uh, the drugs find their way in because the church is not on an island. We really are in society. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. But those influences are all around us. Mm-hmm. And so young people, as well as adults um, that are Christ followers and believe in the Lord, they they go through difficult times. You know, marriages break up, um, difficulties in relationships, uh, lose their job, all kinds of things that come to pull at the very fabric of the things that they've been putting their confidence in. Mm. And they start looking for ways to cope. And so drugs are right there. Uh, you know, in, in Genesis, talk about sin was crouching at the door yeah. where drugs are crouching at every corner wow. um, and, and in every doctor's office because yeah. uh, the prescription drug uh, use uh, of opioids has just gone through the roof. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and many times people have these things in their medicine cabinets at home that was legitimate to manage pain or from some illness that they were going through and, and young people find them, adults reach for them. And so we have the street illicit drugs, but then they're the legalized drugs that are so pervasive in our society. So whether you are a Christ follower or not, those things are readily available to you. Mm. And so you go through a trial, a difficulty, a tragedy, something that you just can't seem to get over, those things are right there for you to reach out and, and find. Wow. Yeah, so so there are people that, you know, are either struggling themselves or they have a family member that are, what, what do you, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of calls uh, from people saying, hey, Pastor Ron, I don't know what to do, I'm struggling, or, you mm. know, my, one of my children are, um, what, what are your recommendations? Let's say, let's, let's take it first, besides, you know, come into a 12-month program, are there, is there anything else we can do to kind of help, uh, you know, if we're struggling with addictions? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that you can do. Um, first of all, I, prayer is a key thing. So yeah. the first thing I do is I just begin to pray with them, just let them know, hey, there's hope, there, there, there is a way out. And not everyone will come into a, a, a long-term care uh, program like Teen Challenge initially. And so you begin to get them connected to a community uh, of faith, a, a community of people mm -hmm. who are uh, living uh, without using substance, yeah. whether that's a church or some other kind of ministry or organization. So getting them vitally connected to someone else, because as I mentioned earlier, drug addiction is such a lonely, lonely road. Mm. And if you can get them to connect and get outside of, of the very small circle that they've drawn for themselves, they can begin to find hope. And so we began to look for places in their community uh, that we can recommend them to so that they have someone to talk to. It's very important to have someone to talk to when your heart is breaking, when your mind is overwhelmed, mm -hmm. and you just don't know what to do. You need someone on the other end of the line that you can connect to. Yeah. And so we really try to get people connected to the local churches or to people uh, that can just speak comfortably to them, yeah. uh, just to kind of get them calmed down so they can begin to think. Uh, and then begin to put some things into their lives that uh, become uh, more important than reaching for the drug. Mm -hmm. But it's really it's just starting to open up and letting someone else into that space yeah. so that the person is not alone, that they begin to find solutions, they begin to find answers, they begin to find some hope and help outside of themselves. Yeah. If, the, if all your resources is just you, right. then your resources are very, very small. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I think really helps people begin the journey uh, of deliverance and transformation is to get connected to yeah. resources outside of themselves. Right. And isn't there a resource that's uh, either created or sponsored or used by Teen Challenge that's for churches and small groups? Uh, what is that called? Can you t talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's a living free. Living free. It's a curriculum that's Bible-based that, that has been developed uh, that is we use. We actually train uh, churches on how to use yeah. this curriculum. And we also have... Uh, uh, opportunities on our Teen Challenge centers for people to come. And it's a group that meets uh, once a week uh, with people who are actually struggling with addiction or they have a loved one who's struggling with addiction and they're able to support one another. They're able to talk through those issues through the lens of what the scripture says on how to set boundaries and you know how to really 
um, put things in place so that uh, they they are not you know just going down that slippery slope further and further and further. And it's called living free curriculum. And so we train people and churches mm-hmm. on how to use this. I know that there's celebrate recovery. There's a lot of different things out there. Right. Uh, just find somewhere to get connected. Yeah. But the living mm-hmm. free curriculum is is totally Bible based and and it really helps people to frame um, uh, their questions from a biblical perspective. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what we want and what I believe God desires is for a life to be completely transformed. Amen. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. Yeah. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And go. so we really want them to be transformed. And so starting with the word of God uh, and some safe people who understand and who would journey along with you yeah. really helps you to get your feet under yeah. you. There's such great potential. You know, I, I have seen it and you've seen it probably even more firsthand than me that you know, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Or And then remember the woman who was forgiven of much, she loveth much. Yes. You know, I think some of this, as we're talking about some of the crisis in America today, one of the great hopes for America today is a recovered drug addict who not just is now no longer using drugs, but has the testimony of the healing power of Jesus Christ. Yes. You know, that, you know, that, that you can argue doctrine if you want, but when somebody says, you know, I was, I was just about dead, I used every penny I had. I've been to every doctor I could. I've been to every program I could. And finally, Jesus came and set me free. Yes. You know, you, you're going to have a hard time arguing with that, whether you're a government agency or some media corporation that is anti-Christ. Uh, you, you know, you, you put somebody on CNN and tell them about Jesus set them free from heroin. Then, you know, yes. you're, you're going to have a, a host with their mouth drop open <laughs> rather than, you know, countering the, the point. So, I, you know, I think this Teen Challenge and ministries like this could be a great hope for, for this, you know, as I read from Matthew 24 about this, an opportunity for your testimony. Yes. Um, how yes. do you feel, you know, I think one of the great hopes for America in its time of crisis and for revival and spiritual awakening is the church. How do you feel, and maybe talk about sort of the, both sides, the, diff, the, the, the problem that churches are having with the, 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 the crisis of addiction, and then maybe some of the good things that uh, churches are doing. Uh, first of all, wh- what do you say, do you think most churches are equipped to handle, uh, you know, pastor of a local church, mom comes up and says, you know, my teenage son is, 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 is you know, addicted to mm-hmm. so-and-so type of drug. Do you think most churches are well-equipped to handle that? Unfortunately not. No, um, yeah. I wouldn't think so either. Yeah. No, and, and it's very sad because there's so much information available, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that is out there for people to learn. But I think um, the church in general uh, is not really focused on the issue of addiction, even though there are people sitting in the pew and families that are in their, their congregation. Mm-hmm. that are dealing with addiction on a, a ongoing, regular basis. Yeah. But it's something that you have to be real intentional about. And and I think when folks are um, building their ministries and they're intentional about you know trying to win a certain uh, demographic, whether it's young married families or they're reaching out to try to get youth and so forth, uh, they don't put addiction as one of the things that people are facing. Yeah, uh, yeah we have the broad category of sin. Uh, that we want people to move away from a sinful lifestyle and maybe move into righteousness. But when you begin to look at what people are actually struggling with and bringing hope and help to the real issues of their lives, that's when you can see this real transformation and revival happening in our communities, in our homes, in the church, in the nation, in the world at large. And But it's being real intentional about it. 
And unfortunately, most churches don't really put resources uh, into those kind of issues, especially with addiction, because it's something that is so pervasive. I think we've just kind of gotten seduced and we've become used to it. Um, You know, you look at the movies, look at television shows, they make jokes about the people who are drunk and who use drugs. and, Mm -hmm. um, And it's just something that is just part of society. But it's a part of society that's not hidden anymore. It's very, very prevalent and very, very much out in the open. But for the most part, what I find is the church really hasn't stepped into that space to say, we want to shoulder this burden. We want to put our shoulders to the grind and really create space intentionally in our ministry profile yeah. uh, to, to deal with this addiction. Mm-hmm. And so they'll seek out a teen challenge maybe or yeah. some other place to send someone to. Yeah. And we're here. We're part of, we are that part of the church right. who deals with this, uh, this issue. But there's so much more that can be done in churches. And that's one of the passions that I have is to see the church become more educated, more equipped to be able to deal with addictions right there in their own setting. Yeah. And you have helped some churches through that process. I know you helped me Indeed. when I was pastoring become a church that's more aware and training us. You know, you helped us know when we probably could help somebody uh, remain in their local setting and yet overcome their addiction. Yes. And when it was maybe this guy might or this gal might need a residential, you know, so so you helped uh, churches do that. And so you're seeing that take place as well, some churches becoming more aware. We are uh, seeing some uh, of that. You know, we're helping. We're able to help them do an assessment to okay, see uh, does this person okay. you know really need the long term care or or can we put in you know some uh, you know some of the living free kind yeah. of curriculum, getting in a group, in the church, working yeah. with some people inside the church, yeah. uh, and having mentors come alongside and, and, and disciple and work with them yeah. on an individual basis. Again, it takes commitment. Yeah. Sometimes we start out well, and and then over time the busyness of life crowds in. Uh, and whoever commits to this is something that has to become passion. Their passion, it has to become something that is prioritized in their life and in the ministry of the church in order for it to work. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, people just kind of fall through the crack. And so you really need to have someone who's anointed, who's appointed, who's called of God, uh, and they really want to see people set free, and they see this as their mission and as their call. Okay, good, Mm. good. Well, that's that's a great help. It's not, you're not just helping the addict who comes into the program, you're helping the churches, you're helping families, you're helping the community. So I, I love that. Yes. Um, next question is a little more personal. How do you, as a man of God, as a minister, as someone who lives in this world day in and day out, helping people with, you know, just life controlling problems We're on the, on the edge of, you know, becoming a statistic, you know, 80, I, th- I think I read something like 86,000 overdoses of drugs this past year. You know, that's, you know, we, we hear a lot about people dying of, of uh, you know, of COVID, uh, but mm-hmm. you don't hear nearly as much as that. You know, 86,000. I was with um, I was with uh, another Teen Challenge director. He's from the mm-hmm. East Coast, and he was staying at our house for a, a bit. And uh, while I was with him, he got a phone call, mm-hmm. and one of a, a young man who had come through his program then became on staff and was doing well. Uh, he just got the phone call. It was him who got an overdose and died uh, of yes. a drug overdose. You know, and here my friend is just tears in his eyes. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's got to be hard, uh, you know, working day in and day out. How do you stay compassionate? How do you stay, 
you know, and, and, and going personal, even, you know, when uh, some of my kids were having some difficulty, uh, some real severe difficulties, uh, one particularly, you know, I thought we were going to lose him to, he became homeless, a heroin addict, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you were such a great help, even prophetically giving me a word, you know, that my sons would be in the boat Amen. with me, like, Amen. you know, like uh, the sons of Zebedee, you know, yes, and, uh, yes. uh, you know, so for me, I, I saw, okay, here's a man who is not just you know, sitting on the sidelines of some of the horrible crises that are taking place in America, but you're right in the mix of it. You're, you know, you're not just uh, denouncing the problem. You are mm-hmm. announcing the solution and living yes. the solution. How do you stay compassionate, fresh? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you not get your heart hardened? Or how do you not quit? Well, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, it? but I think the key is to really stay close to your own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really what keeps me fresh. You know, I know that God has been gracious to me. I know that God has forgiven me of my sin. I know that uh, if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? And so because I'm daily grateful for what God has done for me, um, it keeps my heart open to him. And so you can't care for others if you haven't learned how to allow God to care for you. And so because I allow God to care for me, it's through that flow of his grace in my life that I'm able to care for others. And so it never gets old. It never gets tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I, I, I wake up every day excited to be able to tell someone of the hope that I have found in Christ mm-hmm. because I know that I can't change a person who's addicted to drugs. I cannot deliver them. I cannot set them right. free. But I know someone who has all power, all wisdom, all authority, and all grace. And so it's from that place of, of having a vibrant relationship with God myself mm. that I'm able to allow the Spirit of God to, to, to flow through me to touch other people's yeah. lives. So it's not about... I'm bringing some great solution, a great help to them. I'm bringing them to Jesus, you know, and he's the one who's really able to help. And and for parents, it's always appropriate to love your children. Hmm. You know, you love them, you love them, you love them, you love them. How many times has God forgiven us for the same sin that we committed over and over again, whether if it was just a thought or whatever? So if God is that father, he's that heavenly father for us, we need to extend that same kind of grace and that same kind of mercy to others. And so God hasn't gotten tired of me, so I'm not getting tired of anyone else. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's from that place really of just celebrating the, the love relationship that you have with God that, that keeps you fresh. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you cry with people, you, you, you stand with people, you try to cajole them, you do anything that you can to move them towards the place of freedom and getting the help that they need. Uh, and when they make those tiny steps or sometimes those large steps, uh, there's nothing like that that just sets your mm-hmm. soul on fire and really ignites your joy. Um, you know, the joy of the Lord really is our strength. Amen. <laughs> uh, Ron, let's look at the second testimony now. Uh, these are dynamic. It's powerful to see uh, the glory of God just breaking through on people's lives. Uh, let's watch one more. The day I went into labor, um, they tested me. and I tested positive for meth. I was almost on the streets. I was severely addicted to heroin and meth. I wasn't being a mother to my children. Like nobody grows up and says, I want to be a drug addict when I get older. Um, I was hanging out with gang members, skateboarders, punk rockers, and anybody else that shared the same uh, feeling of emptiness that I did. Um, I was hanging out with all the wrong people because they were just as broken as I was. And so by the time I was 15, I was shooting up heroin. And so I was burning the candle at both ends, 
going to school, working full time, and being a single mom, that before I knew it, I became really depressed. Um, I didn't have a life. I wasn't going out because I knew if I went out, I would hang out with the same people that I was always hanging out with. So I got scared, and so I started taking pills to uh, uh, try to deal with the depression that I was going through. And about after a year and a half of doing that, I was taking 30 Norco a day. I started using meth to get off the, the Norco, and I was like, oh, I'll just use meth this one week just to get off these Norcos that I become addicted to. And before I knew it, by the end of the week, I was addicted to meth all over again. I started dating a guy who was very physically abusive, very emotionally and verbally abusive. Before I knew it, I was totally addicted to heroin and meth. About six months after that, I found out I was pregnant. And this time I wasn't able to quit. I tried. I tried a lot. Um, being in the punk rock scene, I, I didn't believe in religion. I was agnostic. I was, I didn't want to even seek out God if he was real. I was more into like thinking that I could handle everything myself. Um, but I got to a point in my life when I realized like I was totally out of control and I don't know what to do. And I remember the first day I could get out of bed and I walked outside into the lawn and I couldn't see, there was nobody around. I didn't know where anybody was. But I looked up into the sky and I put my arms out and for the first time in years, I had felt warmth, the kind of warmth that, that goes straight to the bone. And it was like, God was telling me, you're gonna be okay. So I went in and I went to chapel for the first time that night. And I gave my life to the Lord and I told the Lord, I said, if you can give me a life with a hope and a future, I swear I will give you the rest of my life. And so I graduated TCMI, March of 2018, valedictorian. And April 2nd, I was working for Bakersfield Teen Challenge. Two days before Christmas, I got the blessing of regaining custody of my son, Brixton. And he now lives with me in staff housing on campus. And I get to share my victory Brixton gets to see his friends all the time. <laughs> and we get to show our students the miracles that God can do when we just give him a chance in our life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Thank you, Ron, for uh, being with us here today. Really appreciate it so much. And I'd love for people, we've not, I've never done this on the podcast before. I want to do this for the first time. You know, I, I work with World Challenge Ministry and Mission, uh, and uh, you can check us out at our, at our World Challenge website for sermons and content that could be a great help to you. A newsletter that happens uh, every month. We uh, send out a sermon, a pulpit series newsletter, uh, some great content. Uh, we've never asked for funds on this uh, podcast, uh, but this is the first time I'm going to do that, but not on behalf of World Challenge, but on Teen Challenge. If they could, you'll see in the 
in the uh, episode notes uh, on on the, the provider you're watching this on, you'll see some information about Southern California Teen Challenge. I'd love for you to uh, prayerfully consider giving a donation to that ministry. Uh, it, it is it's not funded by government grants. It's uh, they don't take government funding because then the government uh, gets the foot in the door and they want to tell you who to hire and how to run your business. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so they need uh, the help of God's people. Would you prayerfully consider uh, making a gift to Southern California Teen Challenge and uh, look look at their uh, website uh, be be great great to do that thanks for being with us today uh, look forward to uh, sharing with you next week as well the gary wilkerson podcast is brought to you by world challenge transforming lives through the message and mission of jesus christ each week this podcast reaches thousands of listeners this critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in world challenge's mission thank you for listening and supporting